Please join me in 2 Peter chapter 2 as we talk today about avoiding apostasy. So we're walking through 2 Peter and we've been in this extended section where Peter has written a lot about false teachers. And consequently, we've been talking a lot about false teachers. And I realize this is not a topic that you get up on Sunday mornings and you think, oh good, we're going to go to church and talk again about false teachers. But I want you to hear with me, this is God's love for us. This is God's protective love for us to let us know there are dangers in the world. That yeah, there are a lot of other things we can talk about and the Bible's full of those things too, but here's God loving us enough to say, watch out, there are spiritual dangers. You know, you and I who are parents and grandparents, we do the same thing with our children, don't we? We would like to only talk about King's Dominion and Disney World and a Crump Park. We'd love to say that's, that's just what life's about, but we love our children. And so we also have to carefully tell them what, without terrifying them, there are people who would do you harm in this world. There will be people who pretend to be nice and they look friendly, but they want to harm you. So I don't know how you perfectly have those conversations, but a fatherly, motherly love would, you gotta have those conversations that their eyes are awakened to. And so we have that here in the truth. There are deceitful people. There are spiritual predators who would seek to lead people away from the true God and away from his truth. Jesus called them ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Peter's been warning us about them. So let's dive right back into this context. Second Peter 2, let's look together in verses 20 through 22 today. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. You and I need to know that this is not a hypothetical issue. This is not merely a historical issue. This is happening. All across our land, there are people who are apostates. They once professed to believe, but now they say, oh, we don't believe that anymore. So this week I did a deep dive into a former church on the West Coast that was once one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. They were even featured in Outreach Magazine as one of the fastest growing churches in America. And then they had a great fall they changed their theology as this pastor, I'm going to read you some quotes from him in a moment. They changed their theology at a key point and he, and he even calls it, it was a slippery slope. Once they disengaged from scripture on this issue, then the dominoes started to fall and now they don't even call themselves Christian at all. So we're just talking about those who had lead us astray. This is happening today. So listen to this. This former pastor of a mega church said this, he said, at one point we became the largest evangelical open and LGBTQ affirming church. There was their turning point. We're no longer gonna believe what the Bible teaches on sexual morality. We're gonna look at that, but say, that's not what we're gonna do. This was where it all pivoted. So listen to this, at one point we became the largest evangelical open and LGBTQ affirming church. And from there, we really made a lot of shifts and all of a sudden, I think we were something like a progressive Christian church. 
And then we were a rapidly declining church. And I don't know what we ended up, you know, a not church, a some sort of interfaith spiritual goulash. That's what he said. The former pastor of a mega church. Listen to this. He continues and he's proud of it. It's been wild. And when I think back through all of that, it just amazes me. But I also learned that the slippery slope is real. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I know that phrase is used negatively, but sometime if I write a book, I may have a chapter called my fantastic ride down the slippery slope because it's true. It's been wild and it's certainly come with pain. But as I look back on it now, you know, I realized that what I thought was losing my faith was actually losing my faith tradition. But my faith itself was growing beyond the boundaries of that faith tradition. I didn't lose my faith. I lost my fear. Love expanded beyond those sort of narrow confines and moved me into freedom. I might say I once was found, but now I'm free. And it's been so beautiful to go through that experience. I'm struck by this man's self-deception. I'm struck by his proud rejection of what he calls this narrow confines of once following Jesus. Didn't Jesus warn us about this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7? Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And yet this former pastor led his church away from the narrow way of Jesus to the broad way that leads to destruction. Now, thankfully, thousands left his church. It was a mega church. They, they had thousands flee his false teaching. Last I heard, they were running about 150. So thankful for that, but 150, probably others under the influence of this false teaching. And so this church to this day, or not a church, they don't call this a church, but to this day, this group, they see themselves as evolving. They use terms like this. We are deconstructing our former beliefs and we're reconstructing an ever-changing faith. They're excited about this. You know, we don't even know what we're going to believe next year. Just excited to be on this ever-evolving journey. On their website this week, they say this, everyone knows that there's more to life than, than they are presently living. We want to curate transformative environments, supportive community and resources that change the way we see ourselves in our world, giving voice to a spiritual reality that's beyond the copyright of any one religion. They keep going and they say things like this. The world is tired of religious people who claim to believe a list of ideas when those very ideas don't translate into any kind of personal transformation. Rather than organizing around a particular set of theological or metaphysical beliefs, our aim is to guide people into a redemptive way of living, knowing that the way we behave toward others is the realized expression of what we believe. They say, God is love, but then they flip it. Love is God. We envision a community where every human being awakens to his love. This love working in us, among us, through us, and even as us. And then because they don't use the Bible, they have a quote from Mr. Rogers. Life is for service. They're still at it. A recent sermon, when I tapped in, if you can call it that, a guy's just talking and he doesn't, of course, use the scriptures. He tells an imaginary story of a boy who lived in a castle and he came upon a wild man in a cage and he let the wild man out of the cage and followed that wild man out in the woods. That's scary. But the point of his story that he made up is this. We need to embrace our own wild nature. I think that's the opposite of what we do. 
We need to embrace our own wild nature or else we will not become the king or queen of our own lives. So here, here's a group that used to preach this gospel that we preach. They've moved so far, they don't consider themselves Christians at all, an interfaith goulash, and telling you to embrace your wild nature and be the king or queen of your own life. We're just talking about apostasy here. That there are those who at one time professed Jesus as their savior, even spiritual leaders who would go this far. I want you to see with me this morning the reality of false professions of faith. I want you to see that. Verse 20, let's go back into the scripture. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. So these false teachers that Peter's addressing, at one time they appeared to be genuine believers. They had seemingly escaped from the corruption of the world. They had come to a knowledge of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. They knew about him. They responded in some way, indicating that at one time they appeared to be in full agreement. They had come to know what Peter calls the way of righteousness, but here's the difference. They, at some point, turned back. They walked away. They went back to their old belief system, their old ways in the world. They became entangled in them and overcome by them, enslaved to skin, sin all over again. So not, not fighting sin like every genuine believer has to do, but happily now back in their sin, no struggle, no remorse, even leading others into that sin. So how do we know their profession of faith was not genuine? Because they did not remain in it. The faith that saves is a faith that lasts. And these men did not have that. So Peter, if you remember, has written extensively about these false teachers and their sin. Again, not like you and I sin. We can do some stupid things in moments of disobedience. And, and what happens as believers? Oh, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I am off track. Would you forgive me? But the, but the one here who is a false teacher, they have now become defined by their sin once again. They're promoters of sin. Do you remember verses 10 through 19? In verses 10 through 19, Peter has called out their arrogance. He's called out their immorality. And he's called out their greed. And, and they're embracing it, not fighting it. So what can we learn from this very interesting passage today? Well, I have seven principles for us to gather. We'll do these relatively quickly. Let's look at them together. The first principle that we can gather from this passage is this. Being in church does not save you. Being in church does not save you. Being in Christ saves you. But being in church does not, and those two are different. Now, church is a great place to be saved. Many of you have that as your story. In a sermon some time ago, you heard the gospel that Jesus would, would forgive your sins if you trusted him, and, and you got saved in church. Some of you, it was vacation Bible school, something like that. Some of us were saved in our bedroom at home, but church is a great place to meet Jesus, and I hope today, if you don't yet know him and trust him, that you will today in a church become in Christ by trusting him. But we're just making the point, being in church, attending a church, that does not save you. Related to that, we can say this, second principle, being in ministry does not save you. Being in ministry is a good thing. Men it right now. That's not what saves you. Being in Christ saves you. In a 2010 study from the Center for Cognitive Studies at Tufts University, they had a study called Preachers Who Aren't Believers. And in that study, they interviewed 
a number of pastors who were secret atheists, but occupying pulpits of churches across the United States. Here's one example. They tell of a man by the name of Daryl. Daryl is a Presbyterian who sees himself as a progressive-minded pastor who wants to see his kind of non-doctrinal Christianity given validity in some way. He acknowledges that he is more of a pantheist than a theist and thinks that many of the more educated members of his church hold to the same liberal beliefs as his own. And those beliefs or unbeliefs are stated clearly. Listen to what Daryl said. I reject the virgin birth. I reject substitutionary atonement. I reject the divinity of Jesus. I reject heaven and hell in the traditional sense, and I'm not alone. The report goes on here. Amazingly, Daryl is candid about the fact that he remains in the ministry largely for financial reasons. It's how he provides for his family. If he openly espoused his beliefs, he says, I may be burning bridges in terms of my ability to earn a living this way. They're just false teachers. And so being in church doesn't save you. Even being in the ministry like this guy doesn't save you. You must be in Christ. You must recognize your need for a savior and you put all of your faith in none but Jesus himself. I fear that over these 10 years since this study came out that the faithless clergy, they're not trying to hide it as much as they did even in 2010. I think they're much more brazen. They would tell their congregations much more openly what they don't believe. We just see that trend increasing. So being in church doesn't save anyone. Being in the ministry doesn't save anyone. How about this third principle, head knowledge does not save you. A mere head knowledge doesn't save you. Listen, being in Christ saves you. Back to the scriptures, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, here it is, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here are men who initially made a profession of faith. They turned initially from their old life of ignorance. They joined into the Christian community. They had heard the gospel. They responded in some way, but they did not respond with humble childlike faith in Jesus. They did something other than that because they certainly were not born again. Maybe it was this. Maybe they heard about this new faith. Think first century. They hear about this brand new Christianity coming to their area. They were intrigued and maybe let's go check it out. Or maybe their friends had met Jesus and their lives were changed. Once again, I'm intrigued by that. Let's, let's check it out. And they were interested enough to join the Christian community. Maybe they saw a miracle and they had problems and well, I need some help with my temporal problems. And, and so maybe, maybe we'll get some help for things like that. But whatever the case, they did not become children of God. They learned a lot. They obviously impressed some people that they would become leaders in the Christian community. That's why Peter's warning us about the damage that they're doing. But it turns out that it was not a saving knowledge of Jesus. It was just an intellectual, I had knowledge knowing the facts. Do you know it's possible that you could know the gospel message and not have believed in the gospel message? You might be one here today that you grew up in church and you could tell us all, how can a person be saved? You can walk us through how good God is and our sin and Jesus' death and resurrection and how a person needs to call on Jesus. You could tell us the facts. You've just never done it. You've never sincerely trusted in Jesus. And so head knowledge is not enough. You need to be willing to say humbly to Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. I, I need you, Jesus, to save me. It's not the religion. It's not the rules. Jesus, you died for me. You were raised for the dead. I, I'm trusting in you as my Savior. Head knowledge alone 
won't save you. Here's a fourth principle. Morality does not save you. Morality doesn't save you. Being in Christ saves you. Just adopting Christian values doesn't make you a Christian. I fear this is happening all across our country as we're very political and very divided. We've got people rightly concerned about values on the other side, but some people it's just their Judeo-Christian values and they're aligning. We'd say their values are good, but that doesn't make you a Christian because you're lining up for the values that we find in scripture. You could be self-righteous in those values. You could be unkind with those values. Doesn't mean you've met Jesus. Listen, your morality doesn't save you. You, you need Jesus to cleanse you of your sin in order to be right with God. You holding to the right positions, the right morality, that's your right platform, that doesn't, doesn't save you unless you bow the knee to Jesus yourself and ask him to be your savior. Let me add to that, neither can love save you. This is the new progressive gospel coming out of many pulpits is just love people. Just love people. If you love people, you're good. God wouldn't want anything more than that. Just love people, everything they do, all their behavior, you just be affirming of everything that's what's called love, and that, that'll make you right with God right there. No, it won't. So morality, whatever you call it love, listen, you need the love of Jesus to save you. It's, it's his love coming to you. The, the love that was so great that Jesus left the perfections of heaven on a rescue mission for you. Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died for your sins on the cross, that's love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of his love, raised from the dead. You trust in him in response to his love. His love will save you. But how about this? Judgment is greater for apostasy. Here's our fifth principle. Judgment is greater for turning away from Jesus. Look at verse 20 again. The last state has become worse for them than the first. The last state has become worse for them than the first. How about these false teachers? They, they once didn't know about Jesus. Then they came to know him with a head knowledge. Now they've bolted away from him. Oh, now this is worse than had they never even known. Peter's been writing a lot about their judgment. Remember back in verse three, we read this, their condemnation, what a word. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 12, they will also be destroyed in their Destruction, it is not good to be an apostate. Verse 17, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. So how, how is it worse that they left and they became entangled in their sin again? Well, they're now rejecting Jesus with eyes wide open. They had the right head knowledge of the gospel. And then they say, but I'm turning from that back to the world. How is it worse? They're unlikely to repent now, now that they believe that they have tried Jesus. I, I know all about that. I tried that for a season, but I'm over here now. Very unlikely they'll ever repent of that. Now they're leading others into unbelief and error. Can you imagine again the danger of that, how God feels about that? You, you, you now are going to lead people out of the church, out of the gospel, and that won't bring judgment from God. They are under great judgment. Remember, Jesus spoke this way. In the strongest of terms. Remember he said, if you lead one of his little ones astray, it would be better for you. Catch the analogy. She said, it would be better for you if you had have a large millstone tied around your neck and you'd be thrown in the sea. He said, that would be a good thing compared to the judgment that's coming 
if you lead one of my people astray. Jesus said there, there is severe judgment for becoming a false teacher and leading people away from the gospel. And so it brings us to this awareness that there are apparently degrees of judgment, just as there are degrees of, degrees of reward. Let's make sure our gospel's straight here. We are not saved by our works. We're not saved by our faithfulness. We are saved by our humble faith in Jesus, the Savior, right? Jesus saves, free gift of salvation. But don't we find repeatedly when we are faithful to Jesus, doesn't he promise us on top of the free gift of salvation, if you're faithful, I will reward you. I will reward you. However he does it, we're not sure, but he says he'll reward the faithful who have received his free gift of salvation. But we see also the opposite is true. An unbeliever, apart from Christ, their name's not in the Lamb's book of life, regardless of anything else, in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, sadly, Revelation 20. But we're told here that it's even worse. There is a greater judgment for the person who's been exposed to the gospel and says, and I won't have it. One theologian said it this way, Peter's larger theological point is that God's judgment on people such as these will be more severe than the judgment on those who never made any profession of faith in Christ. That does not mean that ignorance will excuse anyone's sin. But those who claim to believe the gospel, but then return to a habitual pattern of unrepentant sin in their rejection of Jesus will be far worse off on judgment day. We get the same kind of warnings in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter six, listen to this. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Or Hebrews 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now let's move on to a sixth principle here. Here it is, simply hold on to Jesus. Grow in your faith, feed your faith, don't turn away. That's the context here, that's, that's the whole purpose of this whole letter of 2 Peter, don't be among those who fall away. Remember what Peter said at the very beginning, even in chapter one, he says, here's what you do, you have this, this faith in Jesus, just keep adding to that faith. This is 2 Peter 1, 5 and following. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Look at verse 10 again, chapter one, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never, you'll never fall. We're supposed to receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus and then just grow, grow, grow. We began with faith. We just keep walking by faith in Jesus till the day he calls us home. But sadly, we know there are those who begin this journey and at some point they bolt away. There are those who maybe go through some difficulty in their lives and think, fine, if God's gonna do me like this, I reject him. They heed Job's wife's advice. I'm gonna just curse God and die. And sadly, we see that 
and we've seen it over the years. But many people also slide away from Jesus. They make what they think are small compromises with the culture. They'll make what they think are small steps of disobedience, but that takes them far away. They slide away from Jesus. And we were warned about this as well. Remember, Jesus told the parable of the soils. As the gospel seed goes out, some falls on the path, some among rocky places, some among thorns and weeds, and some in good soil. And so you'll have those people who spring up with excitement. I'm a part of this. And then with difficulties, they are gone. And what happened? Where did they go? And Jesus really gives us the idea that we're supposed to be good soil. We come with our childlike faith in Jesus. I mean, there, that's where I'm going to remain until I die. I just trust Jesus and I love Jesus. I just keep trusting. I trust him now. I'll trust him tomorrow. I would never dream of turning away. I trust him. So, so let me ask you this. We've been talking about false teachers, but how about a serious word of application for yourself? I ask you a couple of questions. Was there a time in your life when you loved Jesus more than you do right now? Just think about it. Did, did, I, did I love Jesus more? You might go back to camp. And I remember that time at camp. I just loved him. I don't love him so much anymore. Was there a time in your life when you were more faithful to Jesus than you are right now? You need to repent if that's true. Return to him. Reverse that direction. Aren't you glad the mercy of God, he'll have you back, he'll cleanse you, he'll renew you. The great commandment, it's not elite Christianity, but, but to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you want to restore that first love. Maybe if you're not currently reading the Bible, can I encourage you, go to those first chapters of the book of Revelation. Read what Jesus says to those seven churches about what it looks like when a, when a believer strays, but he's gonna welcome you back if you return to him. Finally, the seventh principle from our text, true faith lasts. True faith lasts. And really the other side of that is false professions, they will eventually be Revealed, And we come to the really most interesting verse of this passage here. Look at verse 22. Some words you never thought you'd hear in church. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Kind of gross right here. So here's the question. Why do dogs eat gross things? Because it's their nature. They're dogs. A couple weeks ago, I talked about my dog here, my beagle Penny. I, I slandered my dog in front of everybody. I talked about how poodles are sw smarter than my beagle. You know, to tell you the truth, I walked home after trashing my dog in front of all of you, and I looked at my precious beagle. I felt guilty. I thought, <laughs> I, thought I just spoke ill of my dog behind her back. But she is a dumb beagle, so she had no idea. <laughs> and, uh, and I do love my dog. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love my dog. But. She's not bright though. She does dumb things. So one of my dog's bad habits, since I'm trashing her again, is uh, my dog likes to eat Kleenex tissues, especially used ones. So if one of my grandkids leaves one low and they like to leave them low, my dog will grab them off the table. I was like, ah, oh, come on dog. This dog is nine years old. And I realized she'll never, she'll never stop doing this. I cannot, no matter how uncomfortable I make her trying to get it out of her mouth, she's gonna keep eating dirty tissues. The other thing is, I know we know not to have any puzzle pieces on the ground because that's something about that cardboard is food to my less than bright beagle. But it's her nature. 
I can't stop her. Maybe you're a better dog trainer. You can figure it out. I can't stop her. So, so why do pigs like to be in the mire? Why do they like to be in the mud? You can wash them. Peter talks about it. You can wash them up. But their nature is to get right back in the mud. So here he's talking about these false teachers. Why, why are these false teachers out now entangled and overcome by the world again? Because of their nature. They were never born again. They're sinners like all of us were sinners, but they still are. They, they, they love that. Time revealed that their profession of faith was not real. They love the world. They're in the world. They're promoting the world. It just shows that's, that's their true nature. But Jesus comes in and he gives us a new nature. Listen, we're very honest. We're all, we, st- we have two natures now. We have our sin nature we still battle with. And, and we've been very honest about it. As Christians, we can succumb to temptation, can't we? Moments of stupidity, moments of temptation, and we can take the bait. And we, but, but here's the new nature. We recognize, ah, I feel horrible. I can't enjoy this old life I once had. If you can sin and enjoy it and stay in it and you don't feel any remorse and you're proud of it, you've never met Jesus. You're, you're showing that your nature is same as what we all had, what we call our old nature. Enter Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God now dwells in us. He's made us new. And when we take those steps back into the old ways, immediately, don't you feel him going, no, 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 you won't do that. You won't do that. Misery is there. In fact, the most miserable people are Christians who try to dwell in the old life. This is, this is make you miserable. This is terrible for your mental health, by the way. If you that I do love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, but there are some things I still want to do over here and I'm going to keep doing those. And I think I can still be happy. You will not be happy. You're wrecking yourself. So for your own sake, turn from that and your new nature is crying out. And the Holy Spirit of God is crying out for you to be consistent. So listen, come to Jesus for relief. If, if you are a Christian in disobedience and he's hounding you, he loves you. He'll welcome you back, but you have to repent and acknowledge I have been wrong. I've been wrong. I've been wrong. And I need you to make me whiter than snow. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? But maybe you're here today and you recognize, I don't think I've ever met Jesus. I, I'm like these people in the scriptures. And now I see it. I pray that the Holy Spirit's mercifully doing that work. They just show some church attenders that you've never met Jesus. You've been thinking that church can save you or serving can save you. But listen, it's only Jesus can save you. Today, would you trust in him? Move beyond an information about Jesus. That's, that's a great place to start. I know about the Savior. Now trust in the Savior. Put all your hope in Jesus. You're not saved by your good behavior. Not, you're not saved by that. Jesus can save you. You need him. Would you trust in Jesus. And then Christian, would you even now, would you tell him with all your heart, Lord, and I will follow you all day today. I'll follow you tomorrow. I cannot imagine ever turning on you. I'll walk with you next week. Lord, Lord Jesus, I'll be faithful to you until you come again. You're too good for me to ever turn away from you. Let's pray together.